Hey everybody, welcome back to Salted Hash. I'm your host, Steve Reagan, and today we're joined by the CEO and co-founder of T-Cell, Michael Firetag. We're going to talk about AppSec, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Michael, how are you? Thank you for joining me. I'm great. Thanks for having me. So application security, it's a thing you hear about all the time, but a lot of people seem to um, really fail to grasp how significant these issues are in the, the world we live in today, especially since everything is an application one way or another. And here recently you uh, put out a report talking about some web applications and attack highlights, and I wanted to go over that a little bit today. And the first thing that, that stood out to me in this report actually isn't like a, a type of attack or anything. It, it's the delay in getting said vulnerabilities fixed. And it says here it was 38 days, no matter the severity of the vulnerability. That seems really low compared to what it was a few years ago. Is that the case or is, is there improvement here or am I reading this wrong? No, you're absolutely right. It's actually, it's, it sounds bad. Right. It's like meaning, hey, we found that your application is vulnerable to something horrible and it takes more than a month to fix that. Uh, but the reality is that uh, if we did the same when we did do the same report a year ago, uh, it was more like two or three months. Um, and so what we're finding is that generally application security meaning how to protect a web app API service when running in a production environment, how to make sure that you're not going to get hacked through the kind of biggest uh, openings that you've got, which is at the application layer. It's getting a lot more focus from security teams, which is great. And there we are making progress. Um, I'll also caution that you know, one thing you know we've talked about internally is that we, we the numbers that we've got may be a bit skewed, frankly, in that we collect it through our tool, which also services the information to our customers. And so one thing that we've often found is that when we first show up in an environment, that list of open vulnerabilities that uh, are on that application that is running in production now, that can be, it tends to be quite long and things tend to be sit, have set around for quite a long time. Once we're in place for a while, then there's kind of a more of a workflow for addressing them, still taking much too long. Uh, but uh, but but sped up. Um, oh, okay. So it, it'll be interesting to see how uh, you know how things uh, progress as tools like this get more widely adopted. I think generally as as the as as teams focus on these types of issues generally and start prioritizing getting them addressed. So bridging off that, going into uh, shared libraries and code resources where vulnerabilities were found and you're seeing them used in production environments, has there been any, any change on that in the last couple of years? Because I want to say it was like maybe 2012, somebody had, had brought up a report. I don't remember the vendor, but the point was using shared libraries that have vulnerabilities in your production stack is leading to all kinds of problems and nobody's patching them or you're not updating your libraries. What are you seeing with that in regards to the field right now? Is it improving or is it still just as bad as it was a few years ago? Well, it's not bad to be using third-party libraries. I mean, a lot of ways it's- Well, I mean, vulnerable third-party libraries. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, so what'll happen is, I mean, the flow is you're gonna have to build your software on someone else's software, and you should, right? I mean, like the worst thing you can ever find is someone built their own like SSL stack, right? That's like- Roll your own encryption, yay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like using third-party stuff is is a good thing. The reality is every third-party thing that you use 
there'll be vulnerabilities in it, whether you know about it today or they'll be discovered. So that's gonna happen. Um, what's, it, what's getting more and more awareness, and I think teams are getting better and better at, but are nowhere near where they need to be, is actually having a defined process for tracking what vulnerabilities they actually have, determining whether they're directly relevant to them and making sure that they're being addressed quickly. And addressing them can mean, uh, it could be as simple as I got to patch that library and that's easy for me to do because it's just some you know dot release and it's not gonna change anything to, okay, I'm using this library and it's, you know, practical matter is sometimes it's a major project to upgrade it to the thing that isn't vulnerable or the thing, or there isn't a version that isn't vulnerable. So do I have other remediation uh, paths uh, available to me to, to be protected other than simply trying to update all my software, which, you know, if you're built on, so as an example, I mean, we'll say that most applications will have hundreds, some will have thousands of third-party libraries that they're built on top of. Mm -hmm. Saying that you're going to upgrade every one of them as soon as any one of them is released is not, <clears throat> not, is not always <laughs> it's, it's just not, yeah. Exactly. So security folks, we, we need to be practical in how we approach these things and particularly how we work with our peers in operations and development to address it. It's not something, and to, and to have procedures and tools in place so that we know what to do if the answer and the legitimate answer from a development team is, I can't patch this today. I need, we need a whole project around that. Okay, what are you going to do? And, that, and that's what people are getting more sophisticated with. So let's let's uh, keep going forward down this chain here and talk about the actual vulnerabilities themselves. Um, I'm looking at the report and I noticed there's a, a a difference between what OWASP says their top vulnerabilities are and what you've discovered. And I guess my my first question is is why is there a difference? Are you looking at actual attacks in the wild where where your customers were sampled, or are you looking at something different on this? Yeah, I think there's. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, the the principal difference that we think that we're seeing is that we are watching in a, in a much more controlled way attacks in the wild mm -hmm. versus uh, more kind of surveyed re responses from, from large groups. So you, it, you get a little less opinion with our data. Uh, you get a lot more, you know, kind of controlled statistics. Um, there's value in both. Right, because uh, so you know, for instance, I, I would I we used OS top ten in our minds is how to how to structure things. I think it's a great uh, thing. But the, think of this just as another view into the world where if you say if you cut across several dozen large scale production applications and you simply measure how are people being attacked and separately measure where are the actual breaches coming from. In other words, so it's a difference between how am I getting attacked and where is the actual breach. You know, meaning vulnerabilities found, or you know, or uh, other or other form of breach. If you're actually measuring those two things, what do you see in, in a more controlled environment? That and that's what this is. It's a 60-day slice of time, right? So it's kind of narrow, uh, but it's a uh, and it doesn't have the kind of qualitative aspect that OWASP reports can have because those are you know people reporting in saying this was horrible for me versus a simply measured you know attack happen. Uh, but it is definitely useful. So, I mean, what we find is, look, like in the last, you know, or at least in the, you know, 60 days in Q2 that we measured, like cross-site scripting was like all over the place and just generally browser targeted attacks were incredibly prevalent. We found that almost all attacks, well, are 
automated and more than half the applications that we would look at are actually attacked. Um, so those are just kind of interesting data points and you can see there, you know, where also the kind of the drivers behind it, uh, there that, you know, bad guys have figured out they can make money through crypto mining on your browser if they can get your browser to run their code for you. So that's starting to take off and, and they're you know, hitting everyone's websites and doing browser extension, all kind of terrible things to, to make this happen in the background. So there's a sort of drivers behind that that we're, that we're saying. So the Verizon reports over the last couple of years have talked about how web application attacks are the thing. That's what everybody's seeing. Akamai recently said that uh, web attacks have gone up 10% over the last year. And I, I look at the, the findings you have there here in this report and I see SQL injection. Something that is, what, 20, 25 years old now? I mean, it's, it's like way older than my kids. And I'm just, why? Why is this still a problem? What is it, what is it about SQL injection that we can't seem to get rid of it? <laughs> it's a, that's a great question. So there, there's two sides to this, actually. What that metric is, is how many attack attempts happen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tell you how many SQL injections actually went through. And actually, we didn't see very many successful SQL injection attacks over Good. that period. That's a or good thing. People trying it. What we also saw is that automation. So what we're what we're really seeing is that if you're on the internet, someone's going to start hitting you, and they're going to start off with automated scans that will try everything. And SQL will be the first thing that they'll they'll try. Doesn't mean it's going to work, but it's going to be the first thing that that they try. So in a lot of ways, that's an indicator. Find someone who's attacking you. It doesn't necessarily tell you that they're actually breaching the application. Now, sometimes they will, and when you know you get a SQL injection, it's it's a disaster. We yeah. see yeah. successful breaches much more commonly with command injection, which is utterly disastrous, uh, cross-site scripting, uh, stolen credentials to kind of attack, or session hijacking, clickjacking, those are the ones that seem to actually go through. But in terms of vol volume, we'll see things like SQL injection, because it basically it's something where a bot, it's very easy to get a bot to just slam you with lots of different attempts, and that, that's what we're seeing there. So for the old folk watching this like me, and you mentioned command injection, now are you talking about command injection where I alter the URI and, and make the server do what I want, or a different type of command uh, injection? No, it's, it's that. It's, you know, it, well, it could be, I mean, they, they, they've gotten quite sophisticated in how, uh, but the what is Still. somehow get application to run some crazy shell command that it shouldn't uh and those come i mean like and those are real like i mean the one everyone likes to talk about is of course equifax and like that that is the entry point is you know a vulnerability in a, in a third-party library stretch two uh that hadn't been patched uh was you could send a carefully crafted payload uh it wasn't as simple as you know adjusting your uri but a very carefully crafted payload that would trigger it to execute uh, you know, OS commands, actually shell and so forth. And from there, you own the system and do anything you want. And that, that's basically it, that, the, the big danger. And that's, and because of the impact of that, that we think that's probably why we see so many attempts at that. And when we see breaches, like, man, it's, you know, it's obviously disastrous. So uh, later down in the report, and, and I know I keep hammering the port, but it, it really is, this was interesting reading for me. So I just wanted yeah. to talk about it. Um, this is the first time I've ever actually seen Python listed as a, a, a type of a target platform and what's most commonly used against it. So I'm curious, when you were looking at Python itself, uh, what were the, the SQL injections looking like when it, when it came across the wire? So the reason we break out the report by 
platform type is because that we find that there are specific vulnerabilities that each platform may expose and hackers are, are aware of. So the, you know, there's always gonna be this baseline of just like, I'm gonna throw my tool at your stuff and it's gonna you know, do like, you know, semicolon drop table and, and you know, hope for the best. But what we also see is that uh, hackers will probe a site and you can fairly quickly determine the basic architecture of the back end of an application in most cases. So if it's a Python-based app, you'll figure out that it's written you know, in Django, for example. You can figure out if it's a Node app, if it's Java, is it running Spring, uh, or is it running Struts, for example. And once you figure something like that out, you can do that through you know, names of cookies, the URL patterns. There's lots of different techniques you can use to just kind of guess at language and platform. Once you have that, you can be much more targeted in the injection, particularly the injection attacks that you might try. Uh, and that could, that would apply to SQL injection, knowing what ORM they're using. You can take, you can then look for the, you know, the vulnerabilities that were known in that thing, or just generally how does it translate uh, and generate queries and see if you can find functionality that is likely to take unescaped, you know, content and dump it into a query or, you know, that or what, Devise subsystem could actually shell out, and can we try to get that going? So what we do find is that uh, bad guys are smarter about their attacks after they do a little bit of reconnaissance and know your basic architecture. And you can, and if you think of this as a volume game, right? Which it is, right? So the we'll find that roughly speaking, it'll take a hundred thousand attack attempts, meaning bad requests into a system to find a, any kind of vulnerability, just you know, it, roughly speaking. So 100,000 cross-site scripting attempts to find uh, the hole in it where you can get a script to pop in the browser, uh, 100,000 or more requests tuned to actually then get to a OS command that, that or a, you know, a local file include or any of those things. So if you think of that ratio, being, that's a lot. It means you have automation, you have botnets, and then that's giving, you know, protecting tools like a T-cell the ability to identify that attacker before they actually breach the app, right? Mm -hmm. If I have to find, if I'm looking for one bad request and I have to be perfect, that's that's tough. But if I have to look for 100, if I have to you know, have 90,000 before, you know, they're likely to find the hole, then the advantage is on my side. And so what we're also finding is then the attackers are trying to get smarter about it to say, if I know your architecture, I know you're on, you know, I, I know you're on Python. I know that uh, you're using, you know, device or something like that as an auth system or whatever it is, whatever is the framework that I figured out just through a little bit of telemetry, then I can take my script, was, which was going to shotgun 100,000 things, and I can try to snipe it down to 20,000 then it's gonna to start to shift the, the probability in our favor and then the defending tools have to take that into account. So that's definitely what we're seeing. Makes sense. So to wrap things up, <clears throat> one of the, the high points of the report is the fact that companies need to have better visibility into their, their environment and what's going on with the applications. But if you had to give some basic, here's where you start, this is where you can put your, your best foot on the right path, what do you what do you want to say to, to business leaders looking to improve their app program and make it more secure? 
Yeah. So the first step to protecting an application is getting metric-based knowledge of the risks that you have and what types of attacks you're subject to. So the, the problem is that very often in security generally and definitely in application security, it's this incredibly broad, very vague thing that security teams then you know, say, okay, well, we need to protect against, you know, for application security. So we're gonna you know, get tools and add processes and you get an enormous amount of resistance from your peers in operations, in development, and it's difficult getting budget because you're asking for something huge, often disruptive, and you're not quantifying why. If you can start off with a program to quantify what risk do I have with the application? What libraries am I loading in? Are they actually vulnerable? What APIs am I exposed in the outside world? Am I under, do people actually attack me and in what way? If you can take that and then you can start to focus what is the right, what is the right approach to reducing that risk, to closing the holes, to identifying and blocking attackers, to having, and you can have a much more metric given discussion about where to spend your resources, how to do this in a way that is not disruptive to your uh, development and operations peers. That's the thing. So it's like, so start with understanding, start with and think about tools and processes that are not disruptive to the operations development teams that you're going to work with so that you can move forward with less organizational resistance and, and everyone's confident that what you're doing is necessary and worth their time and money to, uh, to back up. Excellent. Thanks a lot again, Michael, for talking to us. I appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about application security or anything else like that online, feel free to look us up at CSOonline.com, and we'll see you next week. This has been Salted Ash, and I'm Steve Reagan. Take care now. Bye.